Great God in heaven, we turn our attention now to your holy word. We ask, Father, that you would speak in power, that, Lord, you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, Lord, that you would conform us to your word. Lord, we need to hear from you, and we ask that you would speak, Lord, in spite of me, Father, that you would add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take and turn with me to the book of Hebrews once again. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament. You get through Paul's letters. You get to First and Second Timothy and then the letter to Titus. After that, there's a very short letter to Philemon. After Philemon is the book of Hebrews. If you hit the book of James, you went one too far. So just back up one to Hebrews. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 2 in all of its entirety, all 18 verses this morning. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would ask that you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word as we look together once again in the word of the Lord, beginning in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone, where it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, since therefore the children share In flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God 
to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning we are back in the book of Hebrews. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We are back in the book of Hebrews. And if you'll remember from last week, nobody knows who the author of Hebrews is. If somebody tells you that it was Paul, that's a good guess. It's, a, it's still at the end of the day just a guesstimate. They don't know. We aren't sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. But what we do know is that there are early church fathers like Clement who wrote in 96. So Jesus dies about 33 A.D. In 96 A.D., we have Clement referencing the book of Hebrews. So more than likely, Hebrews was written between Jesus' death and 96. So sometime in there, the book of Hebrews must have been written. But you know what, guys? This is uh, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So I, I don't think I can hold her and keep preaching. So I'm just, I'm just going to set her right over here. Don't, don't worry. It's okay. We're just going to set her right over here. All right? She's going to hang out right there. I know we got great nursery workers. She's just going to hang out right here. There we go. Boop. All right. So, we start off in Hebrews chapter 2. And if, if you noticed in Hebrews chapter 1, there wasn't a single command. There's not a single instruction that we are given in all of Hebrews chapter 1. All of Hebrews chapter 1 is essentially... Jesus is supreme. There is no one above Jesus, and Jesus is above all of the angels. So we spend an entire chapter just talking about how awesome Jesus is and how above and beyond Jesus is in regards to everything in creation. He is on par and equal with the Father. And so we move in to chapter 2, and chapter 2 is going to demonstrate to us some of his humanity, some of how he was fully God and fully man. You know what happens in chapter two is, is he, he says he says this this phrase that I just I love there in the beginning. Pay much closer attention. This is that struggle that we were talking about last week that he's he's writing this as a letter, but also as a sermon. And so what he's doing is saying, pay close attention in light of everything that we've just heard and said about Jesus. Let me help and you pay attention to this. We'll see him struggle with this this angst that he has to communicate and draw our attention to what is important over and over again. We'll see this in chapter 4. He'll say, pay close attention. Look here. And then in chapter 12, he'll say, hey, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and what ends up happening in Hebrews, and for so many of us that try and share the gospel, that try and preach on Sunday morning, we end up being flight attendants that, have you ever noticed that that's kind of what happens? I mean, the flight attendants are very important. They're vital to your safety and survival. But how many times have you gotten on a plane recently and everybody stopped what they were doing to pay attention to the flight attendant to say, all right, the exits are back there and they're right here. And here's how you want to buckle your seatbelt. Okay, here's the inflatable thing. You pull right here and you blow to fill it up. Nobody's paying any attention at all. They're still on their phones. They hadn't turned their electronics off. They've already got the Sky Mall magazine. They're flipping through to what's new. Nobody's watching at all. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants to communicate to us. This is vital. Pay attention. I'm trying to get you out of this plane alive. I'm trying to get you out of this life alive. 
I know that might not make sense, but there is a way to get out of this life even more alive than we are now. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, pay attention because I'm trying to get you out of here alive. I want you to know where the exits are. I want you to know how to stay safe. I want you to know what to do. And so many of us, we're just wandering through life. Just paying attention to anything and everything. But what needs to be paid attention to? And I just don't understand sometimes how we can neglect something so vital and so important with so much draw to it. Look what he says in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He says that because of Jesus, the payment for our sin has already been made. We already have redemption if we will believe in Jesus and become children of God. But how will we neglect such a great salvation and still escape the wrath that is to come? Listen, I have three kids, and this one is the most chill of all three of them. All right? And she's not hardly making a sound. She's kicking. She's enjoying herself, okay? And I remember with my first child what it was like trying to get him used to being in his crib. I was, a, I was, a, I was just a, a weak, weak father, okay? Because he would cry and scream when we left him in his bed by himself. And I couldn't even stay in the house because at that point in time we had a small house. So there was nowhere you could go in the house to not hear him crying and screaming out, wanting one of us to come in there and grab him. And I felt like I was neglecting my child. But my wife, who's so much wiser than me, said, we need to do this or he will never, ever sleep on his own. And I said, okay, well, I'm going outside. You need something from the store? I'm going to the store. I can't do it. I cannot do it. Folks, I, I don't know how people can neglect. Something like this. We weren't neglecting Micah, all right? And this one right here, she doesn't ever hardly cry when we put her to bed. She just hangs out. But look at this baby. Look at how precious this is. Okay, I know I'm biased, but this baby looks a lot like Jessica, and I know she's beautiful, all right? How do people neglect their children? But time and time again, we hear stories of babies whose heads on the back are completely flat because they've been left to lay there on their own, all by themselves. And then parents will put them in a further away room and they'll go and they'll put their headphones on so they don't have to listen to the children or they'll leave the house. And time and time again, you can go and hear the stories from people who work at DHR that they have to go and rescue babies. Something as precious as this. There could be laws that are passed that say, we can terminate a child even up to the point of being born after nine months. There's a neglect or something even this precious. It's possible. And some people do it easily. And I want us to see this morning, our salvation and our Jesus is even more precious than this sweet little angel. I love this little girl with all my heart and she is precious and it would be impossible for me to neglect her I cannot do it if she cries out I'm going to go I'm going to go help her. My wife has to tackle me and hold me down. Hey, you're going to spoil her rotten. Stop it. You're not neglecting her. You're not ignoring her. You're teaching her. You're disciplining her. You're, this is good parenting. And I have to be reminded of all those things because there's no way in the world that I can neglect something, someone like this. And yet people do it all the time. And thus is the same with our Jesus. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same way. And yes, I do use my children for analogies. 
And Micah and Luke have already gotten used to it. And Lily will eventually get used to it. But for now, we have great nursery workers. And Jessica will get her back over there. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Lily Grace. Thank you very much. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Our salvation, our Jesus, is great beyond what we can comprehend. And as difficult as it is for us to think about neglecting an innocent, sweet little baby, it should be infinitely harder for us to neglect the salvation that has been bought and purchased for us. But so many of us do it with such ease. I do this day in and day out with ease. I neglect and pay no attention to the way that the Lord is working in my heart and in my life. And I just want to live my life on my own and neglect and ignore all that Jesus has said and done. Why on earth would the author of Hebrews want to draw our attention to paying attention to Jesus? Why does he say, look here, I'm trying to get you out of this life alive? By looking to Christ. Because the first thing he wants to do is draw our attention to not neglecting our salvation, not neglecting Christ. The second thing he wants to teach us is it's worthwhile to pay attention to Christ because Jesus knows. The rest of chapter 2 is all about the humanity of Jesus. Have you thought... In your life, in your walk, have you reached the point where you've thought, there's no way that God could understand what I'm going through. There's no way that could feel the emotions that I'm feeling right now. And I want you to know, Hebrews 2 is here to dispel that rumor from your mind. Jesus knows where you are. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. And He walked there. You know, my, my favorite little tagline to throw out for somebody, if you're trying to defend that someone is... Well, have you walked a mile in their shoes? Have you, have you tried putting yourself in their shoes? It's like a really good trump card where somebody's getting all judgmental and like, I cannot believe so-and-so did such-and-such and yada-yada. Such and yada, yada, hada 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 And you go, well, I, I know you can say that, but have you put yourself in their shoes? Have you tried to walk a mile in their shoes and what they're doing and all that they got to put up with? And usually you have to back down after that. Well, no, I, I've never been in that particular situation. But you know what? Jesus has. That statement doesn't work on him because he has walked in your shoes. And you might think, Pastor, there's, there's no way that Jesus has walked in my shoes. Look again at verse 18. He's going to reiterate this in chapter 4 where he says that Jesus was tempted and tried in every way. But in verse 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Don't neglect Jesus because he's walked where you're walking. You think there's no way that Jesus has walked where I'm walking. My family is so messed up, Pastor. There's no way that Jesus had a family like mine. Okay, that's a, that's a valid argument, maybe. But Jesus was, at best, thought of as an illegitimate child of Mary's. That Joseph was not his real father because the people in Nazareth knew that Mary was already with child. And so they knew that Mary and Joseph were not yet together. So either Mary and Joseph had a child out of wedlock... Or Jesus is an illegitimate child, or they have to believe that he's the Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. So you tell me which of those three excuses the people in Nazareth are going to come up with. Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to be ostracized. Oh, I, I guarantee you, Jesus understands what it feels like to be ostracized and persecuted and the odd person out. 
Jesus also understands what it is to be sought by the crowds and be the most popular person where he can't even get a moment by himself because people are seeking him out so fervently. Jesus just wouldn't understand the pressure that I'm under. All eyes are on me. Yes, Jesus has been there. He's walked through that so he could walk through it with you. He's experienced it. His dad had to have died. Joseph, his earthly dad, had to have died sometime before he went into the ministry. Because we have accounts of the rest of his family trying to have him thrown in a loony bin. Trying to have him committed. Jesus, you are not the son of God. Come home and we're going to lock you in your room. So you'll stop saying this stuff. His brothers and his mother show up to say that. Not his father. When he's there in the crucifixion, you go through every crucifixion account and every detail. His father's never mentioned. It makes all the historical sense in the world that Joseph would have been a little bit older than Mary and that he passed away. So if you're sitting there saying, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be so responsible in my family and to not have a father who's there to care for him and love him, I guarantee you he probably did. He probably, as the firstborn in his family, had to step up and walk and hold up the mantle of the family. Everyone looked to Jesus to be the leader and the head of the household because he was the oldest and he was the firstborn. He had to keep the carpentry business going. And when everything was going great, he says, you know what? I'm called to a higher purpose and I've got to go and minister and eventually come into my kingdom. And, and James and Joseph, his other brothers, are like, what are you talking about? You are responsible for our family. You think Jesus hasn't had family pressures? You think Jesus didn't have expectations of him to stay in the carpentry business and not go into the ministry? Jesus has walked where you're walking. He's had the crowds pressing in on him. He's had people loved him. He's had people hate him, trying to throw him off cliffs, trying to stone him and kill him. You think, well, Jesus was never tempted like I am. I, I, I face temptations of lust. I face temptations towards men and women that I can't control. And, and Jesus has never faced that. You mean to tell me you think that the women that Jesus healed miraculously never threw themselves at him? You think that they never made a move on Jesus? That Jesus was ugly and nobody ever wanted to try and seduce Jesus? You're blind if you think that. And Jesus was tempted in every way. Chapter 4 will tell us he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. He knows the hurt and the pain and the sorrow of losing a father, a loved one, a friend. He knows what it is to hurt and have emotional depth in his being that he can't even express. He rides into Jerusalem and weeps over the city saying, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to... Oh, man. You think Jesus doesn't know where you've been. He goes into the temple and he turns over the tables and he drives out the money changers. You think Jesus has never dealt with anger like you've dealt with. Jesus knows. Our Savior can relate to everything we're going through. And He wants to walk through it with us. He came to live this life that we might have in Him life. And life more abundant and full. And that doesn't mean healthy and wealthy. That means a life of peace and contentment and rest and security in Christ. But you won't have it. I won't have it if I neglect the Savior who went through all of that on my behalf and on your behalf. When we neglect our Savior and neglect our salvation, we're only hurting 
ourselves. Jesus is there for you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to carry you. And He knows the pain and the hurt. Jesus has never been through a lack of healing. You don't understand, Pastor. I'm trying to be healed and I can't find the healing. How about when He goes back to Nazareth? And Mark 6 tells us that nobody believed in Him. They all thought that crazy Jesus is coming back and nobody had faith. And Mark 6, 4 says, because... There was such a lack of faith. He moved on and was not able to do many miracles among them. There were people who needed healing in Nazareth, but the presence over the whole city was one of rejection such that Jesus had to move on. Yes, Jesus knows what it is when the healing hasn't come yet. Jesus knows what it is to lose those that are close to Him. You see, in the first chapter We're told how great and how awesome and how far above all of us Jesus is. But in the second chapter, He's so relatable. Why would we ever bother to neglect Him? In church, we neglect Him so quickly and so easily. I've said it before. I believe it with all my heart. We take good things and make them God things. We take our family and our friends and our relationships. We take our jobs. We take all of these things in our life that are good things. And we make them our God and we neglect our Savior. And so church, I wonder this morning, how then can you have life? And have life abundant when we're neglecting the Savior? This morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your hurt is. I know there's a lot of hurting people in our church. I know there have been a lot of death and cancer and sickness and our prayer list is full. If you're one of those who's walking through that, I just want you to know this morning, Jesus has been there. Not only has He been there, but He's there with you now. Don't neglect Him. Don't ignore Him. He's there for you. He wants to walk with you and carry you and give you peace that we can't even begin to comprehend. And so church, would you have life and life abundant by not neglecting, but believing and grabbing hold of the Savior and clinging to Him together? Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we thank You for this day. We thank You for what You have done on our behalf. Lord, that by Your stripes we are here. That by Your wounds we have access to the Father. And because of Your death and Your payment, we can be called the children of God. But Lord, only if we will trust and believe in Jesus. You are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And if there is anyone here this morning, Father, who has not trusted in You, Lord, if there's any one of us here this morning that we have been neglecting our salvation and neglecting our Savior, please, Father, convict our hearts. Cause us to respond this morning in repentance and humility to return to You Lord, thank You that You walked 
this earth and experience all of our hardships and all of our aches and all of our pains so that you might relate to us and conquer what we could not. Father, I pray that you would move in power and that we, your church, would respond in obedience. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.